My name is Keith Beavers. I don't really want to start a fight here, per se, but Skippy or Jif? I mean, we don't even talk about Peter Pan, do we, right? We don't talk about that. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode six of Vine Paris Wine 101 podcast that I mentioned in season two. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair, and I'm here to say hello. Hi. Hello. Fly with me from Mendoza over the Andes into Santiago. We are now in Chile, and wow, do we have stuff to talk about. This is another interesting story about wine because wine is so interesting. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Alamos Wine. At Alamos Wine, we craft flavorful, approachable, and authentically Argentine wines. Our flagship wine, the rich Argentinian Malbec, thrives in Mendoza's Uco Valley, where our unique growing conditions give our Malbec incredibly concentrated notes of plum and blackberry. Here, in the shadow of the Andes Mountains, all our grapes reap the benefit of incredibly clean air, intense sunlight, frosty cold nights, and mineral-rich Andes snowmelt to provide water for the vines. Indulge in the adventurous spirit of Argentina, Alamos Wines. So, how interesting is that Argentine story, the story of wine in Argentina? Actually, it's what's even more interesting is that whole story of South America in general and how wine got to South America. I mean, we're about to talk about Chile, which is a very significant wine-producing region, not only in South America, but in the New World, meaning everything but Europe. But, you know, because of that expansion, that exploration, that crazy 16th century craziness, um, it established wine in South America. And there, now wine is being made in Uruguay. Wine is being made in Brazil. But Chile, guys... This is a very interesting place in the world. Very interesting in in wine and in general. The history of Chilean wine is just as deep and as fascinating as it is over the Andes in Argentina. The thing is, the thing about, and and the reason I say this is I want to talk a little bit about the history of Chilean wine because it's really cool. But right now, what we're seeing with Chile on our market is an explosion of wines from regions that we previously weren't seeing wines coming from. That's in addition to the places that we already have been, that we have been seeing wine come from a long time. And what's interesting about this is the, the wine that has been coming to America for a long time is great. A lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Carmenere, we're going to talk about that. But there's this push, this new sort of revival of some of the older varieties that were used back in the day, we're talking like back to the 16th century, that are being used now and made into, um, you know, really good wine. So Chile is this very exciting place. And it's, again, it's happening in real time. A lot of these new regions that are popping up didn't pop, only popped up like 10, 20 years ago. So this is a very interesting place. Let me get a little quick history out of the way. And let's just talk talk about these regions because we're going to see wine on the American market from almost every region in Chile. Yeah, it's nuts. And it's a lot to explore. So obviously during the 16th century, during all that exploratory stuff we're talking about in the Argentina episode, filtered down into Chile as well. And just like Mexico City in Central America, in Peru, in Argentina, 
in South America, Chile was working with basically two varieties. There were a lot of other varieties, I'm sure, but these are the two that were really popular. You had the Moscatel de Alexandria, the white wine grape, and the red wine grape that Mexico City ended up calling Mission, that Argentina ended up calling Criolla Chica, and in Chile they called País. And as in Argentina and in Peru in the 17th century, things were popping off in wine in this area. And then we talked about in last episode that edict that came from the Spanish crown saying, no more wine because we're mad over here in Spain. You're not buying our wine. The thing is, that edict was ignored by a lot of people. But in Chile, not only did they ignore it, but they doubled down. The authorities at the time were like, look, don't only, don't just ignore this. I want you to plant as many vines, create as many farms, as many haciendas as you can. We are going to take over this industry. It worked. And by the 18th century, because of all of this planting, all of this winemaking, and all of this competition, Chile was known as a country with a high quantity of wine that was very cheap because of that competition. But again, they were mainly working with two grapes, Pais and Muscatel de Alexandria. It wasn't until the 19th century that a botanist, a French botanist by the name of Claudio Gay, who came to Chile, fell in love with Chile, and worked with the government to help open up an experimental nursery called Quinta Normal, which would actually isolate exotic plants from other parts of the world so they could study them and see if they would work in Chilean soil. And among those exotic plants were European vines. So now we have these two moments in time. You have the, you know, we're ignoring the royal crown, we're encouraging farming and haciendas and planting vines. So that was a, that was a way to position the future wine industry. Then you have Claudio Gay, a Frenchman, and more Frenchmen would come later, coming in and saying, hey, let's establish this experimental nursery and start figuring out what we can plant in Chile. The country then goes through a revolution, separating itself from the Spanish crown. And as it gains its independence, well-to-do Chileans with the means to travel, these are usually uh, men that were in industrial industries like mining. They had money to travel the world. They start traveling the world, especially Europe. They start experiencing the fine wines of Europe. They start bringing these ideas back with them to Chile. This is really the third moment to really solidify what we know in Chile today. And in 1851, one of those industrialists, Silvestre Ochagavia Echazareta, decides when he gets back to Chile, he wants to get into the wine industry. So he imports Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon, and Riesling into Chile, along with a winemaker from France. And so between this moment and the nursery at Quinta Normal, which is actually where Michel Pouget would eventually work and meet the future president of Argentina to start the Malbec thing going on in Argentina, this activity... And these cuttings would establish the Chilean wine industry going forward. And all that is really cool, but here's the capper. Around this time, 
and we will have an entire episode dedicated to it. There was a louse called phylloxera. I know I mentioned it. I mentioned it often. It ravaged and destroyed so many vineyards across the wine world. But the thing is, all this activity in Chile that I'm just talking about, all this happened before the phylloxera outbreak. Chile was able to bank and isolate their vines so that when the entire world was dealing with this louse, this bug, trying to save their, their careers and their family businesses, Chile had no problem. Phylloxera never came to Chile. So as everybody got crazy, Chile flourished domestically with wine. And not only because of they could just make wine and there was no phylloxera and they could keep on you know, doing this, but because of the phylloxera outbreak, a lot of winemakers from France, they left France. They're like, I cannot do this. Everything's dying. I'm leaving. And they all came, not all of them, <laughs> a lot of them came to Chile. And around this time, as the Chilean wine industry is, is thriving, a lot of these wealthy um, former industrialists, they called them gentlemen farmers, it was thought that if you had a piece of land and you had some vines in the hacienda and you actually had a winemaker in-house, preferably a refugee from the phylloxera thing happening in France, you were considered a success. This happened a lot around the outskirts of Santiago, the capital of Chile, and it created this competition among wealthy you know, industrialists or former miners or whatever. And that consolidated the domestic industry into a, just a group of families that basically ran the whole thing. And unfortunately, because of that, this, this sort of capitalism started, they started taxing and taxing and taxing to the point where wine was too expensive for people to buy. And by the 1970s and in the, in the, in the 80s, domestic, and there was also some political unrest and economic unrest at the time, domestic wine demand fell off dramatically. So that in the early 80s, Chile had to pull up a ton of vines. It's called a vine, national vine pool scheme. They had to pull up a lot of stuff because of, these vines weren't making money. Then, in 1980, democracy comes back to Chile. And from 1987 to about the mid-90s, like, well, early 1993, around there, 250,000 acres of vine are planted back in Chile. This begins to encourage foreign investment. And with foreign investment and local Chilean skill, we now have the Chile that we know today. And it's exciting because for a long time, there are a few regions in Chile that we would see on the American market pretty consistently. But over the past 20 years or so, wow, there has been such a development in Chile that we're starting to see wines just now on the American market from new wine regions that are, you know, kind of cutting their teeth as we speak in Chile. And they're very exciting. So I'm going to run through, there's a lot. There's like 30 wine regions in Chile. It's a, it's a lot, but I'm not going to go through all of them, of course. I'm just going to go through the ones that I think, well, I'm going to generalize a little bit. I'm going to go through some stuff I think you're going to be interested in that you're going to see on the American market so we can start to understand this place. So when you go out there looking for Chilean wine, you're not confused. Let's do this. Just like a lot of these new world wine regions, there's not a very strict controlled appellation system in Chile, but they're making moves now to try to define the terroir of this place, which is pretty plentiful. Okay, let me see if I can do a quick overview before we get to the regions. You have 
Chile is a long, skinny country. And on the west border of the country is the Pacific Ocean. And in just inland from that is a coastal range. From the coastal range going inland, we get into a bunch of valleys. The middle part of the country is basically all valleys, especially when it comes to wine. That valley, as we go west, goes into what's called the Andean Piedmont, or the foothills of the Andes Mountains, and then up into the Andes Mountains. That is how this works out. The thing is for wine, most of the wines are grown in valleys, and the coastal range is either solid or it breaks apart. And if it's solid, it protects the valley from the ocean influence. If it breaks apart, the ocean influence gets in. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, that's California. California and Chile have very similar climatic patterns. Actually, the Humboldt Current, which is responsible for a lot of the air currents in California, also affects Chile. So that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of rain in some of these areas, which will kind of give you like a little Sonoma vibe, if you will. Also, what's very interesting is a lot of the valleys in Chile are called transversal valleys, meaning they go east to west. So the valley has a very different climactic norm in the western part of the valley than it does in the eastern part of the valley because of its proximity to either the Andes or the ocean and the coastal range, whether it protects from rain or not. I know, it's crazy. And there's actually a push right now to focus more on that and to define Chilean wine more of an east to west than a north to south, which is the way it's defined now, generally. The varieties of grapes that are used in Chile are basically the same varieties they've been working with since the 16th through 19th century. Cabernet Sauvignon is the most popular right now. There's also Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, a little bit of Syrah, some Riesling, which is crazy, and of course, the revival of Pais and Muscatel d'Alexandria. Oh, and Carignan. It's kind of a big deal now in Chile. So as I run through these regions, just know that a lot of these grapes are being worked with in each region, and I'll single out one variety that's shining in one region if it's popular. The, north of, the northern part of Chile used to be what's called Pisco Country, which is a great base spirit. But there are two valleys there now, the Limari Valley and the Elqui Valley, that are starting to emerge on the American market. So keep an eye out for that. I've had good Sauvignon Blancs and Chardonnays from them. Going south, you have this huge, the Aconcagua Valley, which is named after the river that bisects it. It's one of those transversal, transversal valleys where the weather changes from the east to the west. It's huge. And just south of that, you have Casablanca and San Antonio, which are considered subregions of this Aconcagua Valley. And then San Antonio also has its own subregion called Leda Valley. And this is one of those transversal valleys that changes dramatically from east to west. So much so that there's, there can be a month's difference in harvest in just this one valley. That's crazy. South of that, we have the Maipo Valley, the Rappel Valley, Gurico, Maule, and each of those regions have regions within them. Some have six, some have two, some have three. This is the Central Valley. This is the most well-known area of Chile where the, a lot of Chilean wine that we know is made. Maipo, just south of Santiago, one of the most famous wine regions in the country, is known for its red wine mainly. And this is where Cabernet Sauvignon shines. There's also a good Chardonnay and Merlot coming from here. And actually, Maipo has six subregions within it. 
but this is where big full-bodied cabs are known. But there's more going to be, there's always more coming from Chile. So we're going to see more. South of that is another one of those transversal valleys where weather changes dramatically from east to west. It's called the Rappel Valley. It has, but it still has a southern, northern and southern zone, even though it goes east to west. I know it's crazy. You have the Cachapoal and Colchagua, very well-known valleys, and they are on the American market. This is another one of those areas that's known very much for its Cabernet Sauvignon, especially as the vines get towards the foothills of the Andes and start seeing some cool weather. And toward the coast, I've actually had some really good Pinot Noir. South of that is Curico. Not going to see a lot of it on the American market, but again, look for it at some point. They're, they're, they're experimenting with a bunch of different varieties there, so something's going to come out of there. South of Curico, things get pretty interesting in the wine-growing region of Maule, which is known mostly for Cabernet Sauvignon, but it was also known as a bulk wine region for a long time, and the Carignan grape, which is always associated with bulk wine, unfortunately, is still there, but there's a revival for Carignan, and... From what I understand, there is great wine from that grape coming out of Maule. So hopefully we'll get some more of that on the American market. And then there's the southern region. We have three of these fairly new, up-and-coming, somewhat established now wine regions. Bio Bio is one of them. Itata is one of them. And Mayeco is one of them. Bio Bio and Itata are on our market. We're seeing wines from them right now. Mayeco just needs a minute, and it, 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 it's happening, but we're not seeing a lot of those wines in the market. The thing about Bio Bio and Itata is you're not getting your typical Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Syrah, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay wines from here. This is an area where they still cultivate the Pais variety. They also cultivate the Moscatel de Alexandria variety, the two varieties that really made Chile a wine-growing region. And these vines have been here forever. And I just think it's really awesome that there's a wine region in Chile reviving and celebrating the two varieties that actually started the whole thing. It, it's great. These wines are awesome. They're bright. They're fun. And it's just a really cool wine region. They're trying all different kinds of stuff. They have Sanso there, which is another light red wine. And I've heard they're actually doing really good Riesling there. Yeah, Riesling in Chile, in Itata and Biobio. It's crazy, but we're going to start seeing that a lot on the American market. This is sort of like the new cool wine region from Chile. So those are basically the Chilean wine regions. Again, it's all kind of happening in front of our faces right now. There's a lot of history there, and a lot of progress has been made in the Chilean wine system, but there's, all, there's just so much new stuff coming on the horizons. One thing I didn't mention that I want to mention is the grape Carmenere. Carmenere, really, for a while in the 90s, defined what Chile was. It's a very peppery red wine that is from the Bordeaux region, often blended of course. But when it made its way to Chile, it was planted among Merlot vines. And for a long time, it was thought that Merlot or Carmenere were the same thing. And the wines that were coming on our market were these lean, fruit, peppery red wines. The Carmenere grape is not really being used as much anymore. It is mainly being used as a... Um, as a blending varietal, they were able to separate Merlot and Carmenere, so it's no longer, you know, all in one vineyard. But there are people that are still make, that are making wines in these field blends of Merlot and Carmenere. I'm saying this because this is a big part of what Chile was at one point, and some of us that are listening might, like me, <laughs> might remember that. 
but Carmenere is going to come back into fashion in Chile in a different way than it was before. It's going to be coming in as a supporting actor instead of a main stager because at a main stager, it was kind of crazy. Now, there are people making great Carmenere. If you see Carmenere from Chile on the market today, it's different from then. So if, you've, if you remember the Carmenere from back in the day, you see a Carmenere today, give it a try. It's going to have a little more depth, a little more fruit, because people are taking care of the vines a little bit more. Chile has so much to offer, guys. And I can't get into all, I mean, of course, of course, there's always more. There's always more. But this should give you a good sort of overview of Chile as more and more come on the American market. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Alamos Wine. At Alamos Wine, we craft flavorful, approachable, and authentically Argentine wines. Our flagship wine, the rich Argentinian Malbec, thrives in Mendoza's Uco Valley, where our unique growing conditions give our Malbec incredibly concentrated notes of plum and blackberry. Here, in the shadow of the Andes Mountains, all our grapes reap the benefit of incredibly clean air, intense sunlight, frosty cold nights, and mineral-rich Andes snowmelt to provide water for the vine. Indulge in the adventurous spirit of Argentina, Alamos Wines. 